Broadcasting from the Unshackled Studios in Melbourne, this is Wilms Front, brought to you by theunshackled.net. Now here's Tim Wilms. Hello everyone and welcome to another Wilms Front featured interview program on this Sunday, the 18th of February 2024. We are broadcasting live on the Wilms Front YouTube channel, the Wilmsfront Odyssey channel, and the Wilmsfront Rumble channel. It is 9pm here in Melbourne, Victoria. And as you will remember, we were the epicentre of Australia's darkest period during the COVID lockdowns and mandates. I was at uh, Melbourne's Worldwide Freedom Rally uh, yesterday on Saturday outside Victoria Police HQ as uh, Nick Patterson, he's still being prosecuted by Victoria Police three years after they first imprisoned him. And we also heard from those injured by Victoria Police's rubber bullets. Uh, this abuse of our human rights and trashing of our liberal democratic society was able to occur in part because only the approved government narrative around COVID, the lockdowns, mask treatments and vaccines was allowed to be said. And Australians who uh, dissented uh, from, uh, from that uh, were censored on social media, cancelled from their jobs, demonised by the media and surveilled by the government. It was the culmination of an erosion of free speech and thought in Australia. Two years on, has the state of free speech improved in in Australia, while online, Elon Musk buying Twitter, now X, uh, has led to there being less censorship on all social media platforms. As a whole, our governments have continued to curtail our right to free speech in the name of stopping hate speech. Uh, my guest tonight, uh, Melinda Richards, has written a book about the demise of uh, free thought in Australia, entitled You Can't Say That. And she also regularly posts on X, has 63,000 followers and is uh, based on the Gold Coast. Melinda, welcome to Wilmsfront. Oh, hi, Tim. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, I really was very interested to hear about uh, your your day yesterday at the Freedom Rally. They uh, they happen, I think, every couple of months, these worldwide freedom rallies. Uh, there was one in, in Brisbane, which is organised by the People's Revolution. And it's important uh, that, uh, well, we never forget, because it could happen again, what we were subjected to, and also that there are still victims. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's still people who are still trying to get on with their lives after what happened for that two and a half year period. So it is really important that we don't forget. And I'm loving the fact that there's so many people out there advocating uh, for people that lost their jobs, for people that were uh, sacked because they didn't get back. So those are the people that lost their jobs, but also the people that have been, um, you know, adversely affected by other events that were occurring during that two and a half year period and had their lives turned upside down. Now, you published your book in 2022. That was the year when well, Australia was coming out of that two-year tyranny. There were certainly a lot of lobbyists who wanted to continue in the forever pandemic. Uh, we're two years 
on from that, if most people would say, oh, everything's gone back to normal now, uh, but obviously we're facing, uh, you don't need me to tell you, we're facing a whole other bunch of challenges now. Where do you see things uh, to you on uh, from when you first published your book? Well, yeah, I finished the book in 2022. I actually launched it last year. We had a, I, it was a bit of a brutal editing process. So um, the, the, the time between 2022 and 2023, when I actually put the book out in August last year, uh, there was a lot of changes, as you say, and uh, people did start to regain some normality in their lives. Um, but, you know, I sort of feel that we have a society that is, you know, irrevocably divided. Um, there is a lot of debate about what's going to happen next. And I think that, you know, the book itself is really there just to give people a voice. It's really there to give people the, uh, the, the courage, I suppose, to speak out and to start talking about things that bothered them, not just during that time, but that are still bothering them now. And I think there is a lot of hangover from what happened to our individual civil liberties, that there's a lot that we must not forget because if we do and we become complacent again, it will happen again and next time it could be even worse. So we, we really have to mend ourselves as a society and part of mending ourselves is to hold those responsible to account and we have to try and unite society again because at the moment I think we're still divided definitely well our respective premiers they've departed though they've gotten away with everything Dan Andrews he's off to uh, be a lobbying director uh, for uh, Chinese <laughs> interests and your oh, premier premier during the pandemic up there Anastasia Palaszczuk she's moved on and is in seems to be enjoying retirement and even though you the gold coast wasn't subjected to well a, a as many days of brutal lockdown as uh, melbourne and victoria she still put basically the berlin wall between tweed heads and and cool and gatter yes it was uh it was a terrible time actually being on a border city and a border town and a lot of people can relate to this um, it was absolute nonsense. It wasn't just nonsense. It was it was embarrassing. It was it, it that really really impacted people very badly at the time. I mean, I went to the border a number of times um, just to have a look and see what preposterous activity was going on down there, and you know you had police driving up and down Border Street with bollards in the middle of the street, and you know people handing over children obviously families were divided so I actually witnessed people who were you know oh it's your turn honey this week to have the kids so the kids would actually literally get handed over the border um, people signing documents people having little picnics on the bollards because friends and neighbors were just hanging out together um, you know police would then drive past and it, look the whole thing it, you know, it's just so embarrassing now. You, you look back and you think to yourself, I, I just don't know how it happened. And I think that's part of the problem is that I just think people are just so humiliated and embarrassed by what we put up with and what we witnessed. And 
the behaviour of the police, the behaviour of the politicians, the behaviour of some doctors and nurses. I mean, these are just things that if you'd actually described it in 2019 and said, hey, look, you know, in six months' time, this is what's going to be happening, uh, you just wouldn't have you just would have said to everyone, oh, that, that's never going to happen. That just would never happen. That's just ridiculous. But the scenes that, that were going on on the border on the Gold Coast, I think that actually helped to wake people up. And the Gold Coast was a very different area of Australia as well. We, we had a little bit of a bubble going on, I think. Um, I did do I did travel down to Sydney in September 2020. And, you know, it wasn't until I got back from that that I realised that you know, at least being on the Gold Coast, there was a sizable portion of the population here who were just saying, no way, like, we're just not doing this stuff. Like, we are not going to put a mask on. We're we're not going to necessarily get an experimental jab. We are certainly going to move around freely. We will be, um, we will be testing the waters with you know, how the police interact with us. I mean, we still had our ridiculous issues going on. We had police rolling up and down the the beaches in their beach buggies while we were sitting down on the, in the sand telling us to stand up. You know, I mean, we would just look at them and I can't even begin to tell you the ridiculous conversations we had. So we were still subjected to that kind of force and that stupidity. But we, there was a, a larger chunk of our community, I think, that were pushing back a little bit more than in, say, Sydney and Melbourne and in Perth and some of the other capital cities. So I think as a, a regional city, we seem to have a little bit more uh, of, a, of a freedom-minded culture, I suppose you'd call it, than other parts of Australia. So I felt very lucky at that point. Do you still have people up there a noticeable minority still wearing masks i mean there are here in victoria no i was in melbourne around christmas time um i do still visit melbourne relatively regularly um and yes there's definitely a lot more people in melbourne in terms of percentages of percentage of the population that are walking around with masks i pretty much don't see anyone here with a mask on um I haven't seen anyone with a mask on for quite some time, actually. But I could just be, you know, missing them. Well, that, that, um, that's will... good. It's very can... good. I look. I mean, I remember the day though that it wasn't always good. I, I actually didn't believe what I saw. We didn't actually have a mask mandate in 2020 in Queensland. That was another big difference between the states of Australia. Anastasia Palaszczuk, our Premier, didn't put in mask mandates, which we could talk about that word mandate as well from a legal sense, but let's just call it mask mandates because that's what everyone understands and that was the language at the time. So the mask mandates came in, I think, around... March or April 2021 in Queensland and they'd already been going in Sydney and in Melbourne, probably also all around Victoria. Now because we'd had over a year without wearing a mask, I I honestly just didn't believe that the people of Queensland would put their masks on because obviously there was a handful of COVID cases, there certainly wasn't the death rates, people that we, no one that I knew knew anyone that was getting really, really sick with it. There was people coming down with flu-like symptoms and staying in bed for a few days. Uh, I certainly, we didn't 
get this reports that hospitals were certainly overflowing. We didn't get that at all. In fact, our hospitals were relatively empty. I actually had to go into a hospital at one point during the the pandemic for another, a different type of emergency with a family member and uh, the place was empty. So because of all that, that sort of, we'd been, it's been hanging around for a year and we sort of were pretty relaxed about it on the Gold Coast. I didn't believe anyone would put the mask on. I I just didn't. And then I remember going out one day, um, it was like, okay, from midnight tonight, you know, every time you step out the door, you've got to wear a mask. And I thought, oh, okay, well, no one's going to do that. Well, I was was completely wrong. I was completely wrong about that. You know, Queenslanders donned their masks and when everyone walked, you know, I walked out the door and I went to the shopping centre, I think a week or two later. And I think I was one of maybe two or three people that didn't have a mask on. It was incredible. So I, I did lose a, a lot of sort of faith, I guess, in in people's ability to actually look beyond the government control and what the government was telling you to do and actually ask some questions and talk about, well, if you're putting a blue surgical mask on your face, how effective is that from a virus? I mean, what does that actually do to your health when you wear a mask? So I was just asking some key questions. I thought everyone else would do the same. I think I just was so complacent. I just didn't think people in Queensland would would do that, and they certainly did, absolutely. So it was it was a difficult time. Before COVID, it was established science that masks didn't stop respiratory viruses, and post That's right. the, the 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 lockdowns, uh, we've had the Cochrane review into to masks i'm not sure if you've you've seen that study but it found no evidence that any type of mask uh prevent like had an had any sort of a, a impact in preventing or limiting transmission of uh, covid or other respiratory viruses the the thing the thing about all of this is that it's it's also about how you feel as an individual as well so um you know your own body and you know what's happening to you I think we lost I think people lost the ability to be in touch with their own bodies I I had to I had to go into the hospital as I said for a different type of um you know visit with a family member and they said to me oh you've got to put a mask on and I said well look I've got a I've got a mask exemption um and we you know our family or we all had medical exemptions from wearing a mask. My GP was absolutely adamant that uh, we were not to wear masks at all. And she was very, very quick in giving um, myself and my family a medical exemption. I did explain this to the nurse and they said, look, sorry, that's not going to wear in the hospital. You need to put one on. So I thought, look, I need to be respectful. This is a hospital. It's different to just the, the fresh air and, you know, out out and about so I could probably just well just put one on because you know they want me to and I I felt I I I did feel at the time that I was being compromised but I, I just did it like all of us we all had our moments where we did things that we probably regret later I had the mask on for probably about 10 minutes and I started to I started to feel different you know I was breathing in 10 or 15 minutes later I'd been breathing in my own toxins 
And after about 20 minutes, I had to pull it down to get a breath of fresh air. And I thought to myself, I'm really struggling with this. And I've only had this mask on for 15, maybe 20 minutes max, and I'm struggling. So I was I was amazed, I suppose, that when I watched people walk around with masks on, that they were able to cope uh, with wearing them for hours and hours and hours on end, particularly in jobs. You know, I remember walking up to one lady and, you know, she was clearly struggling. She said that she had a really bad headache. She was serving me in a clothing store and there was no one else in the store. I said, look, if you really feel like taking a breath of fresh air and pulling your mask down, please don't keep it on my account. Clearly, I'm not wearing one. And she said, thank you so much. And she pulled it down and you could see that she was breathing. So I suppose for me, it wasn't just about doing what you were told. It was also about listening to your body and listening to your, your, your common sense and your logic saying to you that I, I obviously I'm getting a headache. Obviously I'm not feeling well. Maybe I need to question whether this is really effective. Maybe I just need to ask a few more questions about what I'm doing. And for me around the vaccine and the masks and the lockdowns and all of the other things that were in place, the 1.5 metres and, you know, all this nonsense. For me, it was all about asking the question. I mean, if you asked a question and then you came out with the answer of, yes, the studies tell me that I will, that, that these jabs are safe and effective and I definitely won't get the disease. Studies say that masks are completely effective against getting a virus. Studies are telling me, like, this is real. I mean, this is happening. It's just I would have respected people more, I suppose, had they asked questions because the reason why I ended up in the position I was, because I started out the way everybody else did in 2020. In March 2020, the day before the lockdown, I was in the same headspace as everybody else. I was living my life. I was busy. I was actually having a really good time. I was doing, I didn't, I hadn't done any research. I was just listening to what everyone was saying. It wasn't until I woke up on the Monday morning and even the birds had stopped chirping that I looked outside and thought, okay, I need to find out what's really going on. I asked questions and it did not take me long. It took me a couple of days before I realised that this is not right. I had a tingle in my tail and I suppose it was from that moment on that I woke up. But you see, it didn't take long and the information was there and it was readily available. So, so if I could find it, and I wasn't going onto any dark web or space. Like it was there for everybody to look at. But it's just that the difference was that I asked some questions. I said, well, I mean, if we're all locking ourselves away, is that going to stop a virus? That was my first question. My second question was, if I get this, am I going to die? Like what's the, what's the recovery rate? That, those two questions were the first two things that I asked. And I found, it, I found the answers to those questions very quickly and very easily. So, you know, I mentioned in my introduction that the the censorship online uh, was was one aspect why a, a lot of information couldn't get out. But it was also because, particularly Australians, uh, were very passive, and if that's what the chief health officers 
tell us to do, then that's what we should do. And anyone who uh, dissents or disagrees with that is is putting us in danger. They deserve a gazillion dollar fine, an ankle bracelet in in jail. And like you, I sense that's from the very beginning that that it was the the lockdown, the shutting down of our society, that that was having the the bigger impact. And I remember because we all saw the the, the propaganda from uh, China, uh, people supposedly collapsing on the street. Who even knows where that was from? Uh, th- yeah. This yeah. this is the thing. And I was looking at like the the COVID counter websites, and it obviously showed that all of these people had recovered from. The, well, at the coronavirus as it was known there and it's like wow a lot of people they're fine on the other end the the interesting thing is is that when there were no cases in australia people still were scared of the virus that's just the thing that i couldn't i, I couldn't get my head around um we we had so much information coming our way before they were able to censor everybody that um, it became, it was sort of like a um, pantomime in the end. And there were two things driving people. There was the fear of the virus initially. And, you know, even I, as I said, I started out going, oh, my God, is this thing, I better find out, you know, what's, what's going on? I mean, is this thing really dangerous? And But the biggest fear, the biggest fear, I think, was this fear of being ostracised. It was the fear of not conforming and being socially exiled. It was the fear of people not thinking you were a good person. It was the the fear of, um, you know, people calling you names and the name calling and the the kind of bullying that we saw. I mean, nobody likes that. You know, it t- takes people back to the schoolyard days. Um, it, was, it was sort of like all the stuff around the no vote and the yes vote, the recent referendum in Australia, you know, the... The, the yes campaign that there was a lot of sort of bullying and shaming and and it was the same kind of behavior that we'd experienced over that two and a half year period between 2020 and mid 2022 it was this kind of um i guess coercion and and this this idea that you know if you're not conforming and you're not doing your part you're a bad person and you're selfish if you ask a question you're a conspiracy theorist. If you don't do what everyone's telling you to do, you're you're the the one in society that should be named and shamed, jailed, quarantined, isolated. Nobody wants that. This had nothing to do with the virus in the end. In the end, this is just a pure lesson in psychology and human behaviour and conformity because the masses were starting to do things and people were afraid of being socially left out and being pariahs and it took very very brave people to find each other and to form bubble communities and support each other through this really really bad period because the people that stood up and said no guys you you're not you're not thinking clearly you're being brainwashed here you're being pushed into something that is not necessarily correct, you need to sit back and ask some questions. I mean, people were afraid to do that because no one likes being called names. 
Nobody likes to be bullied. I mean, everyone just doesn't, everyone just wants an easy life. They want the easy road and the easy path. And to go the hard road is is hard work. And, you know, there's, Australians just weren't prepared to stand up um, in 2020 and go, yeah, you know what, I'm, um, I'm not doing that because I just want it to all go away. It wasn't really until mid to late 2021 that people started going, okay, we've had enough now. And that's when the freedom rallies started to get a little bit more peaceful because there were a lot more people waking up and participating. But those early days, you know, particularly in Victoria, when these brave Victorians were coming out in the first few rallies and just saying, you know, you've got to let us out of our prison cells. I mean, these were some very uh, amazing individuals and we were all, you know, watching that with very close interest within my group. And and one thing about Victoria too, and I, and I, I do want to mention this because I think it's very, very important to mention this idea about Australia and the states and the state premiers. So Australia was the only country in the world that closed its state borders and we're an island too, so that's probably relatively ironic. Now, when we closed our state borders, I mean, I think that was unconstitutional, but that's probably for a lawyer to talk about. But one other thing happened, which was very interesting, which was which which gave me very deep dismay when those borders closed and we didn't let people freely travel. The one thing that I was very upset about was the fact that I had so many people say to me, and some of them my very good friends, oh, well, Melinda, at least we're not in Victoria. I mean, God, could you imagine being down there? At least we're here. And I just said to them, but but we could easily be, and we could easily go down and that And it was as horrible as you, you, you saw and imagined it would be, like what you were what you were seeing uh, through online, uh, the the videos that uh, that were coming out, and what you obviously was, you, you got a feeling of of what it was like. It it was that bad, uh, it, particularly during twenty twenty when it was just we're going to oh, keep going. Dan Andrews, we're going to keep going until there's zero cases. It was like you you just almost left with no hope. Well, it, it was devastating when he said that because he had no idea what he was talking about. And, and of course, Dan Andrews is a, I think he's actually a psychopath myself, mm. either that or a sociopath. I mean, the way he behaved. I can't understand how some people still look back on those presses and think that there wasn't something actually deeply wrong with him. I think he's he's probably got, got something wrong with him. Um, he, he probably needs to, to, to you know, have have some sort of um, diagnosis or something because it was something deeply disturbing about what we were observing. But but my response to my friends when they were saying that to me is no 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 they're Australians we're all Australians we're Australians first I'm sorry this is Australia this is my country this is your country if we have a group of people because I have family members down there a family member down there if we have people who are suffering look we're we're Australian we need to stand up and say to the Prime Minister of this country, what is going on in the state of Victoria is, is not on. It is now making global headline news. I mean, even mainstream media was picking up the fact that Victoria was go- had gone into some dystopian nightmare. I mean, we were making headline news around the world, but, but people were, were talking about Australia, not just Victoria. Yeah. And I think, you know, as an Australian first, 
my response always was no if you're on socials if you're got if you've got friends down there if if we if we can do anything to advocate for our, at our local federal members and our and the people that we think have any kind of influence at all we need to be advocating for the people of Victoria under this state premier who's clearly lost the plot completely and um we need to be able to stand up as Australians United. I mean, why are we suddenly going, oh, well, we're washing our hands of Victoria, it's all okay because it's not happening to us. I mean, this is this is just classic human behaviour once again. It's, it, it's and, and I found that, I found that a little lazy and, you know, I wasn't happy with a lot of the responses that, that people in other states were making too. Now, of course, it was very bad in Queensland. It was very bad in Perth. Darwin, horrendous. I mean, you know, I mean, all Crazy of these. Michael Gunner. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all of these premiers had something seriously wrong with them. Now, whether it was power hungry, sociopathic, psychopathic, each premier had something going on that was just clearly, you, you know, awful. Um, power drunk. It was just. It, it was awful. It's just that Dan was at the top of that tree. But at the same time, as Australians, we should have been sitting back, flying our flag for our country and going, you know what, we're, a, we're supposed to be a free country. We are supposed to be advocating for freedom of speech, freedom of movement, freedom of thought. I mean, we should, we, we should not be putting up with this. But, but we did. And as a country for quite some time, we did. And I think that's probably something as a country we need to go back and assess and understand what part of our constitution, what part of our our relationship between our federal and states do we need to adjust? What else do we need to do constitutionally and culturally to make sure that never happens again? And I think we need to do it fairly soon. You talk about in your your second chapter uh, society's new culprits, and these are the people who are pushing the the chilling of free speech and free thought, and they are the ones who are pushing the the lockdown propaganda. What's it? Uh, stay home, save lives, and which was the perfect slogan for the slacktivists. Like, oh, I can save people's lives just by sitting in the couch in uh, my pajamas. <laughs> That's exactly right. Yeah, that's exactly right. I can I, I can just uh, I go to work on on Zoom here and yeah, exactly. I, I, I'm virtuous, and also they also the reason they like the mask is because well they they thought that they were making a sacrifice with not not breathing properly. That's the, the, which is probably the greatest sacrifice that they're willing to, to make. I mean, they would never join the, the armed forces or do, 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 do something that would really uh, put, put their, their body on the line. It's, which is, and also they were getting, a lot of them were getting paid for, uh, for nothing. So a lot of what you talk about, the, the, a lot of the the, the laziness that's uh, crept in uh, to Australia, the slacktivism, it all sort of came together during that time. Look, it did. I think I think culturally, we we saw ourselves for what we really were, and we weren't this kind of larrikin, laid back, freedom loving, you know, outdoor loving. Um, you know, free speech society that we thought we were. We we we're, we're not the we're, we're not the um, 
the the politically incorrect and great sense of humour country that we thought we were. You you know, um, we, we're not necessarily the hardest working bunch of people in the world. You, you know, we we I had so many people that said to me. You know, Mel, I'm just loving the lockdown because you know what? I get to have a holiday. And I and I know that people, like 60 or 70% of people I, w- I was talking to for the first couple of weeks said, you know, th- th- I are actually enjoying the lockdown. I'm loving it because I don't have to do the school run. I don't have to go to work. I can hang out in my PJs. You know, I, I sort of called it the, P- the pyjama-wearing Netflix crew. Um, and you know what it's it's understandable we we live in a a world now where we're really busy and we've we've got a lot going on and we have this idea of this 24 7 socializing where we're on technology and I'm just as guilty of it as well and we put pressure on ourselves and we're busy posting and we're busy telling everyone you know how great our lives are and we're busy putting pressure on ourselves and i think the lockdowns and that time during covid took the pressure off but it's it goes beyond that it goes to exactly what you're saying it's it held a mirror up to who we are culturally and we are not who we thought we were as a country we're not you know we're run by socialists we have a very very strong socialist welfare undercurrent now we are not necessarily, you know, we don't have a lot of the entrepreneurism and, and a lot of the, the the freedom of thought and the risk-taking that we had that probably um, characterised our country during the, the 50s, 60s and 70s when people were building empires and, and there wasn't as much welfare and you had to get out there and work to survive and, and you, you had to actually you know, make something of yourself. and But you had the opportunity to do that because we were living in a, 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 a capitalist country which allowed people to follow their dreams. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't have any welfare. I mean, there are people in our society that will always need to be looked after. But our welfare has gone up incredibly. Um, proportionally, there is there is a, a a very large proportion of the public service that could also be called uh, welfare recipients. You know, they're they're not going to get jobs elsewhere. The public service is probably where they're going to nest in some areas, and and that adds that 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 sort of adds to our bill of of people who are reliant on the government, and it's a, it's a much higher proportion of people in Australia now reliant on the government and relied on some form of government income, if not wholly government income. And that includes subcontractors to the government as well. So this proportion of the public service and, and the contractors to the public service and the unemployable part uh, who have joined the public service plus the unemployed who receive welfare, um, you know, this has grown. And what what it shows is that with such a large proportion of people relying on some kind of government payout or payment, you're then able to easily control that population. So if you're reliant on the government to give you something, when the government tells you to do something, you're more likely to do it. So I think one of the the issues for Australia is that our culture has changed more into big government reliance on government to be our mummy and daddy. And that reliance has created a, a form of control over us that we probably didn't have as much in the past. 
And I think that shone through in 2020, but it was building up. I mean, I decided to write the book in 2018 and it was a couple of years before COVID. And, you know, I was already noticing these really disturbing trends in our society driven by identity politics, political correctness, naming and shaming, bullying, um, cancel culture. All of these things were bobbing up well before COVID. And that's why I sort of took a look around and said, I don't like where our country's going. I don't like the fact that our value system is being compromised. And so I think COVID was just more the putting it under the, the magnifying glass. The there's obviously different uh, uh, different types of uh, you could call suppression of free speech a or, or the the chilling effect. There's obviously the most uh, overt form, which is which is uh, government laws. And mm. in the aftermath of the October seven Hamas attack in southern Israel and the the weekly protests that we see in particularly Melbourne and Sydney, uh, governments, their response is more hate speech laws in the name of, uh, well, in the name of, as it's, uh, as it, as as they title it, cracking down on, on hate, but, and also uh, supposedly, uh, supposedly suppressing the Nazi epidemic in. (laughs) Nazi epidemic. Patients oh, that that they that they they use, uh, but oh my goodness, we yeah. if you look at these laws that they're putting in, like the was the recent one, the violent extremism laws. That's basically they can judge anything that you sort of have that I don't know. Maybe it could be footage of the 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 twin towers being hit as they could consider that violent extremist material and often these hate speech laws they uh they collect uh, collect people who are making fair comments about religions yeah. and uh, yeah. uh different uh immigrant groups who are coming to Australia and uh, we've seen over the years under existing laws people dragged before these tribunals or courts and so this in terms of I I think that social media censorship is getting getting less uh, but our governments are coming down harder which is I mean it's it's worse than the fact that you could be jailed yeah, it's it's terrible. Um, look, I think what's happening is that this is driven by more of a, the, the global agenda, and this is probably where you get into this kind of um, the the realm of what people love to call uh, conspiracy theories. So you know, people love to to call anybody who who questions this kind of uh, suppression of freedom of speech and suppression of freedom of thought and suppression of um, advocating for certain, I guess, uh, value systems and groups of people that are clearly being uh, attacked right now, Um, you you know, they call people conspiracy theorists and, you know, Nazis and racists and, look, all the names start coming out. And that's that's because you do have a, a, a bigger pushback now. So, you know, Elon Musk, once he took over Twitter and called it X and started getting everyone back on that platform, 
you know, go, you know, there's there's ways the governments are controlled. I mean, whether we like it or not, I mean, you can can call it anything you want. The things that are happening in Australia are happening all over the world, and they're happening in unison. And it's it's the same conversations. Canadians are saying the same things as Australians, as people in the UK and people in the US and people in New Zealand, Western Europe. So the reality is there's so many bigger things at play. And what they don't want is people talking about it. They just don't want people talking. I mean, one of the reasons why I wrote my book is to get people talking. It, it wasn't to make money or to do anything like that. I mean, it's a, it's not my day job. But one of the reasons I wrote the book was to start doing what we're doing right now, and that is talking about everything that's on your mind without fear of being hauled up in front of tribunals or being shut down. Most of the people that want to talk about things are good, hardworking, decent, wonderful people. And they're getting shut down and they're getting told that they're this or they're that and they've been called names and all they want is for their country's value system to be restored or maintained. They believe in certain core Christian values, that let's call them, um, which is about the family unit, which is about respecting women and not coming into women's spaces. It's about, you know, not having um, a, a, a mashup of, of cultural issues coming, you know, coming into Western countries where, you know, um, white people are being attacked. I mean, overtly being attacked. I, I watch it every single day. I'm quite active on X. And, it, you know, white people can't stand up for themselves now. Otherwise, we're called white supremacists. You know, we're called racist if we say, listen, you know, we, we don't agree with, with this particular um, thing that you're doing within your, within your family unit or within your community, within our country, because that's compromising our cultural value system. And it might be respecting women. It might be, um, you know, the the family unit. It, it might be anything to do with the way that we live our lives. It might be just uh, freedom of expression, freedom of speech, and we're we're actually entitled to ask for people to respect our value system in our, in the country that they choose to come and live in if they're immigrating into Australia. And most immigrants are fantastic. And most people are great. But what's happening right now around the world is the borders are opening up and people are being shut down. So no one's allowed to talk about these sorts of things. And governments are starting to put in place uh, rules and laws to stop people from freely discussing things around religion, ethnicity, culture, cultural norms. And that's ridiculous. It's a ridiculous thing to do because we are entitled as a country to talk about the type of value system that that we want to continue on as a, a Western culture. We're entitled to do that. And it doesn't mean we hate anybody. It just means that if we see something that compromises our core beliefs and our core values, we should be able to put our hand up and go, you know, I actually don't like that because I don't like I don't like that in the society that I'm 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 raising children in or that I've that I live and work in, you know, in, as part of my country. And obviously uh, there's been a, a massive uh, a reaction and alarm and sadness uh, 
north where you are in uh, Ipswich with the, the stabbing death of of Violene White because that could be anyone's grandmother and it's important to have the conversation. Do we want more of the type of people into Australia who the who well there was one who's been charged with their murder, but it was a it was a gang of uh, five of them, yeah. Yes, South Sudanese. So Yeah, look, I, I mean interesting. That that was a really interesting day that day because it was it was all about it was all about the government and the police not really wanting to to deal with it. And if you talk to the local communities um, and and you listen, I should say, to what a lot of people in those communities have got to say, you know, they're they're talking about the fact that it, it is really unsafe and that they're not surprised and that they had that the police knew who these people were and you know, on and on it goes. I put a post up. The post actually went viral. I don't have many posts that go viral, interestingly. I do have a pretty good following, but I don't have a lot of posts that kind of blow up. But the post I put on this did blow up. And all I said was I posted the CCTV footage that the police released to the public. So I thought, okay, well, I'm putting that out there. And I didn't mention race at all because for me, my stance has always been, always, that I will never, ever play identity politics and I don't care about the colour of your skin and I don't care about your sexuality and I certainly don't care about your gender. I don't care about any of those things. But I did post the CCTV footage. And then I said, well, funny enough, in 2020, the police were everywhere in for two and a half years. I mean, you couldn't sort of look sideways without a policeman telling us what to do. Don't travel that 20 kilometres, stand up on the beach, put your mask on. I mean, you know. And I just felt like saying, gee, it'd be nice to have the police presence now that we had for that two and a half years during COVID, sitting on the borders as we all tried to cross border, you know, the the, the checkpoint Charlie that we had between Queensland and New South Wales, which I had to cross numerous times. So I just mentioned that as well because I thought, you know what, <laughs> we had we had tyranny, we had we had police brutality, we had we had women being arrested, like elderly women being arrested at coffee shops for not being vaccinated, not so long ago, by gangs of three or four police. But these guys, at the time that I posted, were still running around. And the CCTV footage was really quite clear. So why hadn't they been arrested? What was the holdup? What was the time? What, you know, why was? And, and there's a lot of there was a lot of people, thousands of people came and talked about that. And it's a very very emotive topic because then I had my haters coming out and going, "Oh, Melinda, you're race baiting." And then of course I had a bunch of people responding. It's like, where did she mention race? These guys are running around with machetes and knives and they're stabbing people randomly. So, you know, so instead of actually being concerned for the community up at Red Bank Plains and around Ipswich, instead of that concern, your concern, the woke narrative and the the lefties are out there talking about, oh, you're race baiting because you happen to put a picture up and they happen to be Sudanese and they happen to be black. So that means that what, I'm not supposed to put the CCTV footage up that the police released to the public? I'm not supposed to share that because they've got black skin? Of course, I mean, if they'd had purple skin or white skin or yellow skin, I would have put the footage up 
because it's all about saying, hey, I'm in Queensland, here they are, this is what they've just done and this is brutal and it was so shocking. I mean, it was just, it was just so shocking. It, was, it, it, it really had a major impact because it was such a violent crime and we've had a lot of violent crime and particularly youth crime it's out of control. There, there, is, there are youth crime task force now. I mean, Anastasia Palaszczuk, I believe that's one of the reasons why she resigned. She's getting out while the getting's good because there, there's a crisis in Queensland and youth crime is part of it. Now, these, these Sudanese, they were, they're boys, teenagers. That's part of the youth crime problem. But you see, because we are so delicate now, we're not allowed to talk about you know, other people's culture or the way that they behave or where they've come from or how they've grown up. Because we're, we're because even though it's completely different to our value system, we can't talk about that because we're so afraid of being called racist. We're so afraid of, of, of people not liking us because, oh, you know, we're just assuming you're a racist because you just happen to put, you know, criminals up that happen to have black skin so you see it's preposterous but this is where that woke that toxic wokeism has has taken us it's taken us to a point now where as a society we're even holding back finding and catching criminals because we're too afraid to talk about the color of their skin and and that's where we're at and that's why that post went viral and I didn't even mention the colour of their skin, but it was so emotive because it talked about the police, it talked about who they were and why they hadn't been arrested. And then people wanted to talk about what wasn't being talked about, which was this clash of culture. And unfortunately, it is there and it is real. And, and as, as a community, we do have to deal with it. We have to deal with it. I think the the intersectionalists, as I call them, who they have the the hierarchy of oppression and they're not just race, but all the different uh, uh, genders. I think they are on the decline because, well, they at the at the heart of it, like the reason they criticised you for that that post is, well, it's inconvenient to their 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 narrative that diversity is absolutely our strength, that, cultural that, enrichment, that cultural uh, and yep. also they well, if they do address the 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 the, the race or, or culture, then they come up with the 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 victim narrative. I mean, what's the? I remember the. The, over in the US, the 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 looting and the shoplifting is really bad in those those Democrat cities, and their justification is, oh well, they're just they're just hungry. Uh, I'm not sure how you can eat like iPhones, for example. Yeah, and the the iPads and the flat screen TVs. Oh, and the the sports shoes. Yeah, they're they're um yeah. Look, look, I, I think um that's what's waking people up. You know, Australians had to go to a referendum and vote uh, for a race-based change to our constitution, which, I mean, if we're talking about, you, you know, wokeism and the woke narrative, I mean, nothing could be more damaging than the foundation of wokeism, which is identity politics, which is is not treating someone um, well, because of their or or, or talking to someone and, and talking about someone based on the content of their character, but based on the fact that they've got 
a certain skin color or they've got a certain gender or their, their, their sexuality is whatever, whatever. You know, most people, whilst they're scared of being called names like transphobic and racist and, you know, all of the names around, the, the horrible names of naming and shaming people if you've got an opinion about something, most people don't care. Like, I don't care. I don't care what, what your skin colour is. I don't care what gender you are. If you're a good person, you're a good person. If you're hateful and you're, you're hurting other people, then I'm not going to like you. I, I really don't care. And you'll find that's the majority of, of decent people out there in the community feel the same way. So those decent people were getting a little alarmed and a little sick of being named and shamed and told what to do during, listen, you need to vote yes to give Aboriginal people in Australia a voice. And most Aboriginal people, it seemed, thought that it was a race-based change that didn't need happening either. And it's that moment, I think, where Australians were, look, we've just been through all of this shaming and this vile behaviour during COVID. We've just had our freedoms stripped. We've just been lied to over and over and over again. The lies have been exposed. We've woken up now. And I really think that there was a, a big relationship with people saying it's not just no to a race-based change to the Constitution. People are waking up to the woke narrative and it's no to identity politics. It's no to bullying me into an opinion. If I don't have it and I don't agree with you, I have every right to my opinion without being called a ridiculous name. You know, I think the no vote w w was part of what I'm sort of starting to call this, this great awakening that's happening. It's very, very slow, but it's a very good start. And the more people that you speak to now, the more that those people are coming back out now and saying, oh, look, you know, I'm, I'm now awake to what we went through for the last two and a half years. I don't believe what the government's telling me. I believe the government's lying to me. And so I'm going to vote no, because I don't trust the process and I don't trust what's going on anymore. So I think it's really important. I think it's really important that we've arrived at this destination, but we need to kick identity politics to the curb. And this is all part of identity politics. So, yeah. It's also a, a massive gravy train for the activists as well, getting funding for their organizations. And if the voice got up, that would have, who knows how many extra billion that would have added on. And we're, we're dealing with the, the, the bill from, uh, from the, the, the COVID lockdowns because you can't just shut down a, lots of global production for two plus years and expect expect that wealth isn't well the, the 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 overall wealth of society is not going to disappear obviously there was lots who who got who got wealthy during uh during covid particularly the they were they jeff were, yeah. bezos yeah uh, to and uh, the big pharma companies as well uh but we're also still dealing with the uh, destructive uh, policies that have been implemented over the the, the past uh, decade plus, such as energy. I mean, we have so shot ourselves in the, the the foot when it comes to. I mean, we could be so much wealthier if uh, we 
again, it's the same type of people you mention mention in your in your book. These these culprits who are pushing these uh, these destructive policies, which uh, uh, which have well, uh, diminish uh, uh, diminish uh, business opportunities, and also like we're resource rich, we should be yeah self sufficient of energy and. We, we shouldn't be so close to a recession and also our grocery prices shouldn't be as high as they are given that how rich our farming history has been. Yeah, we're being ripped off. There's no doubt about it. And we're not the only country being ripped off. Um, I believe all the Western countries are being ripped off completely. And I, I think it's hard to get your head around exactly how much we're getting ripped off by. I, I mean, I certainly didn't understand half of what was really happening until 2020, until I started to do the deep dive. And it's only because I started asking questions about COVID and the disease that I started to go on that journey and wake up to the fact that that is interlinked with everything. It is interlinked with the climate scam. It is interlinked with how governments are run. It is interlinked with global energy, global food, you know, global media. Everything is interlinked and it's all owned by the same people. And that's that's just a fact and it's been proven. And, you know, that that money, that wealth transfer is, is being transferred out of our hands into the globalist hands. And it's, it, you know, I'm simplifying it a lot by saying that, but that's just the easiest explanation for it, for what you're saying. You know, I mean, Tucker Carlson went into a Russian supermarket the other day and he and his crew said, oh, yeah, this this group of groceries, this package of groceries we've just bought in America would cost us around $400. You know, they they bought a week's worth of groceries. And so they estimated it to be around $400, American, US dollars. It turned out to be, I think, $104, something around that mark. And so Tucker's point there was, Americans, we really just don't understand how much we're being ripped off. Because, you know, America is rich with with resources and energy. We're very rich with resources and energy. We could be totally self-sufficient and we could really help our country out if we were just to take a quick look at who's controlling us and what they're controlling. And, uh, I mean, look what's just happened in Victoria with energy. You know, you just had a power plant. Oh, yeah, we had, we had some wind gusts. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I, I can't believe, and there's there's a few conspiracy theories around, how can transmission towers just end up just a hunk of useless metal on the ground? Well, that was interesting to me because did you look at the trees next to them? You see, for me, if, you know, I thought, you know, with my, you know, small education that I've had is that trees were actually a little bit less resilient than, you know, metal and things that had been standing for how long? You know, I couldn't believe the images of trees standing quite happily next to these transformers that um, crumpled like like pieces of paper. I just, I just couldn't believe those photos. I mean, you know, and what's that? How long had they been standing for before they came down? How many years? What happened to them? Are, we, are we seriously saying that the wind brought them down? I mean, maybe the wind did, but I, I mean, I, I don't, I just, that's just unbelievable to me. 
I hope Chris Bowen's uh, transmission lines for the solar farms and wind turbines are a bit more sturdy than that. Yeah, well, if they don't catch fire, they're they're great. Um, I had a uh, I had a mechanical engineer say to me, uh, I met him last year in in Greece actually, and he was studying to be a mechanical engineer and a very 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 bright person. And he said that one thing that we're learning is we're learning about the cost of energy. So energy in and energy out. And he just hated the wind turbines, not not for any ideological reason, but simply from the mathematical equation that he said it would take something like 300,000 years to pay back the energy that it takes to make one wind turbine. It would take that wind turbine to operate for about 300,000 years before it paid back the amount of energy that it, that it takes to actually make one of those things. And then he was very uncomplimentary again because he said, you know, these things stand and then after 10 years, they're gone. They don't last any longer than 10 years. So he found that whole dumping the wind turbines all over Greece and all over Europe fascinating as a mechanical engineer because he wanted to obviously understand the mathematics of it and that and that's the sort of conclusion that that whole group came up with you know they're all looking at it and it's only when you speak to people like that that you realize that we are part of something else and it's got nothing to do with the climate if you want to know what's going on in the world all you have to do is follow the money in every single instance yeah when it comes to the 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 waste of resources the 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 terminology is killing killing the earth to save it well the the environmental destruction that those wind turbines do is just beyond beyond comprehension you know i mean now they're even starting to decimate bushland in in australia to put these things in and it's it's horrendous i mean they they're just in every way they are terrible for the environment and they're terrible in terms of the amount of energy and that it takes and the amount of resources it takes to make one. They're terrible in terms of what they do, what you have to clear to get them into a place. And then they're terrible when they actually start operating because they just, they, they, they create environmental havoc with wildlife and people that live around them. It's, it, they're just, and it's got nothing to do. That's why, you know, people talk about climate change and they they think that they're being fabulous by buying their electric vehicle and supporting the, the solar panels and, you know, posting photos of wind turbines and calling it renewable energy. I mean, there's actually no such thing as renewable energy. We don't have renewable energy on the planet. I mean, it takes a lot of energy to to put in to our energy sources to get that energy out. And it's not renewable. And I'm, I'm, people will say to me, oh, Melinda, you know, you're not qualified. You don't know what you're talking about. You're not a scientist. You're not an engineer. How would you know? You wouldn't know that there's no renewable energy. But to me, it's, it's logical. We can all read our power bills. Oh, the, the power bill. I nearly fell off my chair when I got my power bill two weeks ago. I, well, no, it was about a month ago. I just, I just looked at it and thought, you, you know... Um, it was revealed that uh, that Queensland's energy, they've been secretly controlling people's air conditioners to turn them down so the grid doesn't fail. Did you hear about that? 
Oh, no, I didn't hear about that. Oh, my goodness. Oh, gosh. Uh, no, I didn't hear about that. But um, our, our, our air conditioning here at, at my place has actually had a short, a short circuit, so it hasn't been working in the last um, couple of weeks. So, yeah, we're, we're actually got issues with the house. But there are, they, they pull so much energy out. They cost a lot of money. But in, in any event, we've always had an air conditioner and the amount that our power bill's gone up in the last two years is extraordinary. It's just extraordinary. And I, I say to people all the time, you know, how are you going with your power bill? Can you afford it? I mean, I looked at mine and went, oh, God, I mean, we can afford it, but it's, it's, it's not pretty. And, and I, really, I really hated paying it. I really did. I, I suppose I should just start shopping around again and start making lots of phone calls. And but we all get a little lazy with that stuff, you know, doing deals, negotiating, seeing what I can do. But yeah, look, as I said, it's all controlled. I mean, we're not in control of our food or our energy or our our water or our media or you know, it, it, we're we're trying to get it back under control by doing alternative media by by doing permaculture, by starting our own, you, you know, patches of, of agriculture ourselves. And I mean, we're trying to get alternative sources of energy. Like I get that. I get we're all, we're all sort of trying our hardest to decouple from the system, but we're all part of a system right now that is, um, that, that is really doing massive wealth transfer at the moment. So, yeah. It is getting exposed and we are yeah. in- a US presidential election year. There's also going to be a UK general election. Uh, and obviously I the COVID coming along in 2020 was was able to to unseat uh Donald Trump and, and Joe Biden in the White House. But they the protection racket I met for Joe Biden, well, Joe Biden just needs to speak and <laughs> they, 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 they can't they can't defend him, but uh, a lot of a lot a lot of us are suspecting: Will there be some sort of another black swan event? I know that they they sort of try to scare us every few months with a with another virus. Was it uh, bird flu? I there there's there's one that's come up recently: uh, Alaska pox. So. Oh, it's... I haven't heard of that one either. Gee, you you really pulled a couple out today that I that I haven't heard of. So Alaska, look, I think monkeypox was just the wrong name. Monkeypox just had a real branding issue there. They really they just called that the wrong thing um, because I think it was just too easy to make too many funny memes out of that one. So that just died the death of a that just died a natural death. The whole monkeypox thing. Omicron was one that they really pushed really hard. Um, and and different variants of COVID, but that's all gone away now. And I, I think they've kind of stopped the COVID variants. The last COVID variant that I saw was like a BAA. I was say it's a JN one, which they said most infect. They always say it's more infectious than the previous one. Yes. Yeah. Uh, like, so you know, we- I think that I think they've stopped the COVID variants. So all of the the sort of omicrons and the bas and all of that the triple a's double d's whatever they were i think they've all kind of gone but i i do i do worry that there's probably still um enough people out there that may conform again if they push another um 
so-called deadly virus out there, they release another one. Um, personally, I think they released several viruses because I couldn't get over how many people supposedly tested positive for COVID around me. Um, a, a lot of people just didn't get sick and a lot of people did, but then they lost their taste and their smell. And then some people just got the flu and something. So there was all these really different symptoms and different experiences. And But with other diseases, it's like if you get it, you know you've got it. Oh, yeah, you've got measles because boom. Oh, you've got smallpox because boom. You've got, well, not smallpox anymore, but you've got chickenpox because you can, you know, oh, you've got the flu because these are the symptoms. But for, for COVID, there was this really wide variety of funny funny well you had to take a test to find out if you've if you've got oh there you go well then then and and, and not 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 having oh no you're sick you are sick you've tested positive you must be sick not not having is one of the symptoms yeah exactly uh that was preposterous of course that was ridiculous and that was probably the first moment within the first two days that i i kind of stayed home while i was researching that was that was definitely one of the things that woke me up was um, this this word called asymptomatic, uh, which was you know, but it, but uh, but they probably for me that showed me that maybe they just release several viruses out into the community. I mean, they're making viruses all the time in these labs. I mean, how many different viruses are there? There's probably hundreds of them. So you know, you don't know what they're going to do during 2024 because there's there's so many different pieces of the jigsaw going on right now. You know. Um, as we're watching world events, they're all interconnected. And a lot of it's got to do with uh, 2024 being an important year for geopolitics. Where we, the important thing this year is that more, more, more of us than ever have, we, we've got our radar on it all. I mean, yes, yes. There's still the, the, the passive sheep who will be fooled, but it's less and less. And so yeah. I think that's why, well, we are in a, a better, there's more, there's more of us who are awake, not awoke, but awake. Yes, definitely. I, I think the one thing that, that, that hurt a lot of people uh, and that I do have many people come up to me and speak to me about and also talk about on my feed is this fact that they were told that if they were going to take uh an experimental substance that they were going to take this these needles that that they were going to protect them from getting COVID-19 and a lot of people who took the vaccine and I call it a vaccine they're really just jabs but they believed that now I can understand why people would believe something that government tells them because I mean you know government is a is a powerful institution and people in government are people of authority and so a lot of people just took took the government's word for it the chief health officer's words for it they believed it and they were um then they got sick anyway and tested positive in any event and that was a very defining moment for so many people around me that said, you know, I, I took those things and I got it anyway. And I think that was a very big turning point for so many people. It was an awakening moment and that momentum has started. And I think whilst it's slow, it's definitely building as some of these lies continue to get exposed. So I think that that's a, a, 
and whilst it was an awful experience for a lot of people, it was a positive in the long term because the next event, it won't be so easy to fool people and to tell people what to do. You know, people are going to be a lot, are going to ask questions a lot more often now than they used to. Definitely. You, you talk about uh, the final chapter in your book is uh, is about uh, the the COVID event. I'll I'll finish off by uh, directing people to where you can grab a copy of the book. So it's uh, melindarichards.com. Uh, so it is you can buy it directly from your website for thirty two ninety five, and uh, you're a frequent uh, poster on your. Uh, Twitter X account. Uh, so, but your handle is good food gal, which I have to say that it sort of throws <laughs> me people whose Twitter handles are completely different to their name. Yeah, because I started good food gal when I had my business that I lost during COVID, my business was actually based in Melbourne. The factory was in Melbourne for a whole range of reasons. And, um, yeah, unfortunately, in 2020, I knew what Dan was like and I, I made the call really early on. I just thought there's just no way we're going to get through this and we were such a small business and my, my team was uh, struggling to get into the factory and my office manager packed bags and threw them in a car to get down to South Australia to be with her family because Dan Andrews was going to close the border with South Australia my Factory manager couldn't even get in. He lived out at Romsey and he was taking him two to three hours just to drive into there, trying to get, in, trying to get through the ring road. So in the end, I just, um, it was just, I didn't want it to take down, you know, the rest of the group and the, the other businesses. So I closed it down. But the the broccoli sprouts that you see in my Twitter handle is actually the product that we grew in the factory down in Melbourne. So they're very symbolic of a small Australian food manufacturing business that um, unfortunately closed down and was a was a victim of the the COVID-19 lockdowns so yeah but you once you are verified you can't change any of your it's harder to change your profile but it I sort of like them there it's very green it's happy you know so I've recently taken out Twitter X, and so I know that you basically have to be verified again if you change change anything. Yeah, and it's just it's just a process that I I just I should change things because I've since written and published the book. Um, I am promoting the book a little bit. I, I'm not doing a massive promotion of the book, but I definitely would. I love talking about it when people such as yourself are interested in talking about it, but also relating it to world events and you know having the discussion we had today which is not about the book at all it's really about you know freedom of speech anti-political correctness anti-woke and and having people uh, believing and knowing that their opinion counts that their opinion is important everyone's opinion is just as important as everybody else's you are entitled to have an opinion and the book is that it, it is designed to you know keep people courageous and speak out and have your say and don't worry about the name calling and the hate because those people don't matter I mean what matters is that you are part of a society and that you have every right to come out and talk about the things that are important to you without fear of um, being bullied or shamed for that and if you are then staying strong and 
people will come behind you and people will agree with you. And it's important that everyone has their say, particularly during 2024. Uh, because I, I think the the people that you talk about, the the shatter the shatter down, they're they're losing their they're just an echo now. I mean, one of the people that you mentioned in your book, Clementine Ford, I mean, she was able to years back get men fired from their job for sending her an abusive message. I mean, she's really sort of, I think, desperate for attention now. I Look, I mentioned Clementine because I mentioned that it's as part of the whole, you know, women can get out there and hate men and, and, and they're let off the hook from that because they're women. So they can go out there and say whatever they want, do whatever they want and be, be you know, vile um, and it's not just Clementine, but I, but I use her as an example because I put examples of what she's actually said in the book uh, about men. And it's, you know, but, but if a man said that about a woman, if, if men say anything about women now, um, they're absolutely vilified and they're, you know, they, they lose their jobs and they're, they've got to come out with public apologies and, you know, men, men are slowly losing their voices in society. And, you know, one of the advocates uh, of that was this, this extreme feminist movement of the 21st century, which is very different to the feminists of the 20th century. You know, I mean, the feminists of the 21st century are basically hypocritical and they are attacking and fighting with men. And I think that they don't know what they're fighting for anymore. You know, we don't need to fight men anymore. Women have just, and I mean, but the pendulum's now swinging too far to the feminist side, you know, and that's part of that woke narrative. And, and we need to get that balance back. We need to, men deserve and should have just a strong voice in society. Um, and white men are probably the most vilified group of people in the world right now. They're, they're being attacked everywhere. I, th I think we are getting the the balance back i mean feminism all of the different schools and that makes my it makes my head hurt trying to understand stand it same as the 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 interse inter intersectionality the oppression hierarchy which is also why it's failing as well like i think we're turning the corner with this which is important well the, the, that that's right because the, the because the woke the woke crew end up eating themselves alive because what's happening now is that, you know, women's rights are being stomped on by the trans activists. And, you know, where are the feminists now when, you know, women are being accosted in bathrooms by, by, by men? You know, where, where's, you know, why can't we have our, our, our safe spaces anymore? Why are there men competing with girls in sport? Why are there boys competing against girls in sport, men competing against women in sport? You know, it's, it's a ridiculous notion. Women's rights. I mean, you go to a gymnasium now and you go into a change room and there's men coming into women's change rooms and undressing. Have you heard of that happening? Well, absolutely, I have. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's happening. And um, there's there's incidents now of, of boys going into girls' bathrooms at schools because they're identifying as girls. And, you know, this is happening and there's women being attacked in prisons in America because men are being allowed to 
to go into women's prisons because they identify as women. And and this is happening. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, like which part of the victim tree uh, are the, is the woke narrative going to defend? Well, they're clearly not defending women. We've moved down the ladder, you know, and the trans the, the, the transgenderism has moved above women. I mean, the fact that in society we have prominent people defining what is a woman, when we actually have to ask that question and answer it as a society, I mean, really, we have fallen a very long way with women's rights and feminism if we're asking that question. And I don't see a feminist in sight when all of this is going on. Not really. Some of them are coming out. Uh, the older ones, the 21st, the 20th century ones are coming out and doing what they did best and advocating for women's rights, which was fantastic. But you see, what happens now is that you can't have some people's rights at the expense of others and that's what wokeism does that's what the woke narrative does they will you know you you you're giving you you're giving certain people a pedestal and when you do that you instantly impact the other group the all the other groups of people because you're instantly dividing a society so once you put one person's rights above another person's rights you're doing society a very, very uh, big disservice. You know, you've you've just put so-called equality and, and acceptance and tolerance right out the window. So you, it's hypocritical, it's ridiculous, and identity politics is toxic. So that's what's well, happening, and I think the feminist movement doesn't know what to do with it. I think that's the point of wokeism. It's supposed to be divisive. That's... Well, it's, that's their point. Their point is that we're ready to divide now. And it's this new division that divides us that's taking our attention away from what's what's really going on. So, you know. Exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you again, Melinda. It's been a pleasure to, uh, well, to, to talk to you face-to-face. -face. Well, yes, definitely. Great to meet you. Hear the voice uh, behind the the the, the X profile, which is, have people ever accused you of like you not being you? That it's you've just put a photo of somebody. Uh no, I haven't had a lot of that, but I had um, I've had a couple of people. That photos uh about oh I think five years old now, five or six years old. So I've had a few people say to me, oh you don't look like your photo anymore. Oh, and but my, oh, this is important my, to you. <laughs> my, my Twitter X photo is is five years old as well, and it was done in a profession, prof, the the old professional studio we used to have before we had to shut it down for for COVID. Yes. So of course it looks looks really well, good. Well, yeah, I, look, that photo I've got's a professional photo, um, and you know some days I look like that, and some days I don't. <laughs> depending on who does my hair and makeup. Like today, I just did my own very light dusting of makeup. So um, I, I do, uh, uh, that is me. And I think that one of the reasons why I do have a following on, on X is because I have put my name and my photo up. It is actually me. And I am putting myself forward as an advocate for uh, the things that I talk about in the book and the things I talked about today, because I think it's important to show people that 
you know, if I can do it, anyone can do it. I mean, I cop a lot of flack, but as you can see, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people want to fall behind it and support you. And and a lot of people have supported me. They've supported the book and they've given me great testimonials around the book and great feedback. And it's because I am just being me and I'm nothing special. I am nobody of, of any great IQ or high intelligence. I'm just a, a normal person who is just trying to be brave to speak out against the the, the narrative and against some of the, the, the global agendas that are running through that are starting to uh, pull our society apart. And I, and, and I think that we all need to stand up against that because it's about our kids and our future, you know, the future of our country. And we're all part of that. So that's the big message that, that I want to put out there. Yeah. Oh, we're all glad that you have put yourself out there. And it's been a, a pleasure to, to chat with you tonight. Uh, the The website again is to, to get the book is melindarichards.com. And thank you again. Uh, take care. And uh, I hope to continue to, to speak with you going forward. Definitely. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. Thank you. All right, everybody. That is the end of another Wilmsfront episode. Now I will be back tomorrow night uh, for Tim's news explosion. There's a lot to cover, including another uh, boatload of asylum seekers, or we should just call them illegals, uh, just wandering ashore on the West Australian coast uh, we've got the energy blackout still in victoria and we've got the asbestos mulch crisis in new south wales uh, the the various trump trials in the united states and uh, the uk going into recession so there'll be a lot to cover and then uh, of course uh, the theorists on tuesday night uh, now remember tim's news explosion 9 p.m melbourne time uh, and so is The Theorist on uh, Tuesday night, though it's on its own dedicated channel. Uh, now, remember uh, that uh, the Unshackled Productions uh, show archive is now is now on Substack. Uh, so it is theunshackled.net slash Substack. And uh, also, I, I'm back on my regular segment on Reality Check Radio. Uh, in New Zealand on Paul Brennan's breakfast program. So that is every Tuesday morning. And remember, if you want to support the work of the Unshackled, uh, there is the membership $5 per month, silver $10 per month, gold $25 per month, and platinum $50 per month. And there'll be more reports from Tiger Mountain with Richard Wollstonecroft uh, later in the week uh, so thank you so much and i'll see you tomorrow night 9 p.m on the wilmsfront channels on youtube odyssey and rumble good night everybody thanks for tuning in to wilmsfront visit timwilms.com to view the archive of episodes and keep visiting the unshackled.net to view all our shows and to keep up with the latest real news and analysis 